Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. Well, back in the day when uh, pageants were a thing, it was not uncommon for the host to hold a microphone in the, the face of an aspiring Miss Whatever. And at, it makes me cringe even think about what that show would look like today. But anyway, <laughs> it'd be entertaining. Uh, inevitably, the question would be asked, if you had just one wish, what would your wish be for? And you know as well as I do that nine times out of four, as one friend of mine used to say, the answer was going to be world peace. For you, for me, maybe it's to win the lottery, maybe it's health, maybe it's for the humility to wash somebody's feet on my last day on this earth. And yet, somehow, in the middle of all of that, the angels announced the coming of Christ as something that was to bring peace on earth and glory to God in the highest. Later in Jesus' ministry, it was common to hear him say to those who were listening, peace be with you, or go in peace. In his letters of encouragement to to other Christians, Paul would frequently wish them grace and peace. Not grace and power. Not grace and popularity, not grace and perseverance, or even grace and success. He would simply remind them that as far as the coming of Christ in our life is concerned, we need peace. But is peace even possible? You can have money in a bank, but no peace in your heart or peace in your mind. You can be successful on the outside, but not have peace on the inside. Everybody wants to live in peace. John and Yoko years ago sang about, all we're saying is give peace a chance. We're still not giving peace a chance, but everybody's version of peace could probably be best summarized by, instead of give peace a chance, It'd be, why don't you just get out of my way and let me have what I want? But is that the peace that brings glory to God in the highest? The book of Isaiah was written in a time that was a lot like ours, a time of unsettledness and uneasiness and a lot of, honestly, just fear of what was going on in their life and what was coming next. God's message through Isaiah encouraged people to look forward to a day of unrestrained praise and worship because of the peace that would come from recognizing the goodness of God in their lives. In chapter 26 of Isaiah, the first four verses go like this. In that day, everyone in the land of Judah will sing this song. Our city's strong. We're surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Open the gates to all who are righteous. Allow the faithful to enter. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. 
Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is our eternal rock. Perfect peace. Can you even begin to imagine what that would be like? Um, no, not always getting your way. Midas tried that one time, and that didn't turn out too well for him. He describes it as a sense of safety and protection, surrounded by strong walls and good people. God provides a kind of stability in our life that could only be described as an eternal rock, one that's not moving or going anywhere. I don't know about you, but I'm more familiar, not with perfect peace, but I'm more familiar with an imperfect kind of peace. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you know the kind. It's the kind where you're troubled about something, you pray to God, and, and you tell him, I, I'm, I'm trusting this with you, God, I'm, I'm just turning it over to you, and, and, and you pour your heart out to God, and you're good for about a hot second. And then, bam, your thoughts and your fears come flooding right back over you, like some valley in West Virginia after a spring rain. God, why haven't you done anything yet? How long, God? How long, O oh Lord? That's the closest we get to quoting Scripture sometimes. How long, O oh Lord? What's happening around me, and why aren't you doing anything? And then all of a sudden, I'm right back where I was before with no sense of peace at all about how things are going to work out. Now, that's me. And I'm guessing it may be you as well. What is perfect peace? You've... You've actually probably heard the word before that represents perfect peace. It's shalom. It refers to a wholeness or a completeness, a fullness of life and grace that creates a tranquility from within because, well, our phrase would be, it's all good, and we mean it. It literally means you will be kept in shalom, shalom, because it was repeated for emphasis, a double portion of God's peace. It's peace with God versus the doubts and fears about whether or not you're good enough for God or whether or not you've done enough to outweigh the bad that you've done or not done for God. It's peace with others without worrying about where we stand or carrying a grudge and constantly being on the edge, walking on eggshells. Now, don't get the wrong idea. It does not mean that this shalom type of experience will keep you from ever encountering any trouble at all. Jesus made that pretty clear in John 16. In this world, you will have trouble. Because despite his shalom for us, we still got the same issues. We still got the same people in our life. We still got the same finances. We still got the same schedule. So what good is this shalom, shalom? Well, God's shalom kind of peace is found in his presence not in the absence of our problems. You get that? Do you see that? God's peace is found in His presence, 
not in the absence of my problems. Knowing God's presence brings us God's peace. It's a peace that comes from knowing His perspective. It's having the assurance of God that settles our soul like a, a, a mother rocking the baby and quieting the, quieting the child when nothing else will satisfy. It's that experience that almost every guy in here has had when holding a baby that starts crying and you can't do anything about it. You don't know what to do about it. You try everything you know and finally you hand it back to grandma or mom and what happens? Within 10 seconds you hear this <laughs> and then peace. And you're left sitting there looking at it thinking, there you go. That's why you're the mom and I'm not. Don't even bother handing it to me anymore. I can't be trusted. But see, we need to understand the battle for peace always is up here. More than one author has talked about the battle for peace as a battle for our mind. We know the truth about God, but our mind tends to wander off. I mean, nothing says ADD by talk, except talking about God. And nothing says ADD like trying to focus on the peace that God brings us, and all of a sudden we wander off into all sorts of things that just aren't true or we believe the truth and the promises of God with all of our heart, but then we begin to doubt whether it's true for me or not. Well, that's good for everybody else. Good for them, but it's not happening here for me. It's a constant battle in our mind between what God says and the lies that we're tempted to believe. It's kind of like when you come home from a bad day or your kids come home from a bad day, and what do you do? You try to comfort him, you try to reassure him, you know, you try to say, you know, that what they said isn't true, and they look at you like, huh, yeah, everybody else thinks it is, though, so what difference does it make? If that's what everybody else thinks, it must be true. You're just saying that because you're my mom. You're just saying that because you're my dad. And the more we dwell on the lies of others, the easier it is for us to ignore the truth. And that is when we lose our peace. But remember what Scripture said in Isaiah 26? You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. Not all who trust in what everybody else says about you, but all who trust in you. Not all who trust in what they've done, all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you, not on me and my problems and my issues and my failures and my hopes and my, even my successes, but all whose thoughts are fixed on you. The International Standard Version of it phrases it this way, you will keep perfectly peaceful the one whose mind remains focused on you. Notice what Isaiah does not say. You'll have perfect peace if your, thought, if your thoughts are fixed on Fox News. Or CNN. Or Twitter. 
Isaiah does not say you'll have perfect peace when your mind is fixed on your 401k or your IRA. He doesn't say you'll have perfect peace by staying focused on the bad news from your doctor. You will only have perfect peace when your mind is fixed and focused on one thing and one thing only, the truth of God. Now, the Hebrew word that's translated as our English word fixed is really pretty amazing. To my best inability to pronounce it, I'm going to say, it's, I'm going to say it like this, samak. It's kind of like when you want God to smack you upside the head and make sense of it, okay? It means, though, to lean completely on something. To fully rest oneself. The literal translation of it ought to be this. You'll have perfect peace when you lean completely on God. That's the way to have the peace of God, by resting on Him and His unfailing character and promises. I mean, you know, you know what that's like. You know when the ice is thin and when the ice is thick. You know when it can hold your weight. And if you don't, what? You know, you put one toe out at a time. You, then it kind of goes to the ball of your foot. And then maybe your heel touches down a little bit. You're always listening for the crack. And then... And then you'll shift from your foot. Maybe you'll lean into it a little bit, still listening for the crack. You're trying to determine whether or not the integrity of what you're putting your weight on is going to hold you up or whether you're going to go falling through. We can put our full weight on God. So... If that's what we're supposed to smack ourselves upside the head with, let me ask you this. What's your mind fixed on? Where's your mind drift to? What thoughts distract your attention that keep you from experiencing the peace that God wants to give you? Is it your kids? Is it your finances? Is it your marriage? What about your guilt? What about your anger? What about your bitterness and resentment? I know for a fact that more than a few of you are overwhelmed by the state of our country and our world. So how is it that shalom peace is even possible? I realize this may sound simplistic, but that doesn't make it not true. Prayer makes peace possible. That's the point of Philippians chapter 4. Now this is the point where you've sat for a while, you've gotten still, you've gotten quiet, the kids have been out, you may have drifted off, I need a little audience participation. It'll be simple. I just want you to say out loud what Philippians 4 says. Prayer makes peace possible. Say it with me now. Now you know there's no surprises. There's no, and I'll give Ed $1,000 for Christmas. No, no, that's not it. There's no surprises. All I want you to do is repeat that after me, with me. Prayer makes peace possible.
See, I knew you could do it. Now we'll do it again. You've got confidence. You have that assurance. Prayer makes peace possible. The reason why I say that is found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. He says in Scripture, don't worry about anything. And if you're like me and you've been overwhelmed with everything that steals your peace, your eyeballs have already rolled in the back of your head and you felt yourself sigh heavily because you don't believe that for a hot minute. But that doesn't change the truth of the Word of God. Don't worry about anything. It's don't let your mind get fixed on this, right? The contrast to that that he gives us, the choice that's ours, we can either obsess and worry about something, or instead we can pray about everything. That's why I had you say it with me one more time, prayer makes peace possible. I don't know how to pray. Rachel, have you ever prayed in public before this morning? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, huh? But, it, you know, it's, it's, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say in prayer, especially when you've been worried about everything. You feel bad about worrying about stuff, and you certainly are embarrassed to tell God everything that you're obsessing about. But he says, tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. Prayer makes peace possible because you can tell God anything. It's like this. You can empty your heart before God. You can clear your mind before God. You don't have to pretend, you just have to be honest. You don't have to be brave and strong and worry about saying all the right things for people that are struggling. You know, you can tell God exactly what's on your heart. I'll tell you this to be true. Some of the most honest prayers that I've ever prayed have been screaming at the windshield in the blackness of night on Interstate 80. Some of the most honest prayers that I've ever prayed have ended with me pounding on the steering wheel of a U-Haul truck. Not the kind of prayers you'll hear me say this morning. but the kind of prayers that I needed God to hear. You can tell God everything. About your past, tell him everything because he forgives it. He already knew anyway, not like you're surprising. I didn't know that. Kind of like when the family's gathered around and the kids start talking and you see mom's eyes roll back when you start sharing about what you did when you were kids still living at home yeah no you're not going to surprise god you can tell god everything about right now because he's there to help you right now you can tell god anything about the future that's squeezing your heart and crushing your brain because God gives you the guidance to go in His path that will bring you peace. How is that shalom peace even possible? Well, it starts with this. Prayer makes peace possible, but it goes on from there. It's not just praying. It's living. Don't miss that. Living in Christ makes peace possible. You're already ahead of me. I'm going to ask you to say that with me too. 
living in Christ makes peace possible. Now, I may have caught you off guard. You weren't quite ready for that. Let's say it again. Living in Christ makes peace possible. Here's why I say that. Philippians 4, verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything that we, anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as we live in Christ. What makes you feel like a hypocrite? And what makes you recognize hypocrisy in others? When you hear them say one thing, but you see them live another way, right? What makes you feel guilty for your own hypocrisy? When you say one thing to God, but then you live another thing completely. That's why living in Christ makes peace possible. He's the source of our peace. It's the love of God that desires what's best for us. He genuinely cares. It's the wisdom of God that knows how this is all going to play out, and He knows best what you need the most. He knows. And it's the power of God that's work within you to do your best. And so, there's what we're confident of. He works. He, know, he cares, He knows, and He works. That's where peace begins when we gain that confidence that we can put our weight on God and lean completely on him because he knows he cares and he's at work to do something with that how's the shalom peace of God possible there's the next one what we dwell on makes peace possible not the random ADD thoughts you have, but what you dwell on. It's the OCD, if you will, of dwelling on God, no matter what. One final thing, Paul says, let your mind dwell on what is true. Now, some of the translations will simply paraphrase that to Think about these things. No, it's much, much, much deeper than that. It's not just the passing thought of, hey, God, you going to do anything? Oh, well, never mind. No, it's, it's the obsessive-compulsive. It's the totally focused and obsession, let your mind dwell on, that you can't get at. It's, it's the positive of the negative that steals our peace. Let your mind dwell on what's true. Instead of the doubts. Instead of the worries about what might be. Instead of the fears of what may happen. Let your mind dwell on truth. Let your mind dwell on the things that are honorable. Instead of everything that's shady about how others have treated you or about how you've treated others and you're afraid you're going to be found out. Let your mind dwell on the things that are right 
and pure instead of what's wrong. Let your mind dwell on the way that God purifies us when we've ruined and spoiled everything and everything about us feels rotten. Instead of dwelling on the ugliness of life that's repulsive, let your mind dwell on everything in life that becomes attractive because of God, the lovely and the admirable. Don't obsess about the failures, but remember what God creates from the very beginning was called by Him good. So if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, that's where peace begins. How's the shalom practice, uh, peace even possible? What we practice makes peace possible. Now I realize that's real similar to living in Christ, but that's what verse 9 talks about in Philippians 4. Keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me, everything you saw me doing, because if you'll do that, if you'll keep putting it into practice, then the God of peace will be with you. Now, think, think through this with me, okay? Why would God give someone peace when they refuse to listen to him and insist on doing life their own way instead of his way? Is that how you treat people in your life? Is that how your parents treated you? God's not going to reward bad choices. God's not going to reward bad behavior. Bad government might, but good God won't. Bad parents might, but not a good God. Why would God give a good conscience to somebody who keeps ignoring Him to do what they want? What we practice makes peace possible. So peace is possible but only to the extent that we stay focused on Him instead of focusing on ourselves. I mean, that's kind of idolatry, right? When we take something that belongs to God and give it to something else. My God's good. He always has been good. He always will be good. With all the things to stress about, God is not one of them. Because you can always count on Him. His Word's true. He's never lying to you. He's never going to fail you. He's never disappointed you. The only time God disappoints us is when we don't understand God. Maybe. Maybe one of the reasons why I'm not able to be at peace more consistently is because I'm not paying attention to who God is. When I've lost my way, it's usually because I've stopped following Him. And I thought I knew the right way to go. When I'm too weak to go on and tell myself I can't, I can't, I can't, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy instead of telling myself he can, he can, he can. He's my strength. When I'm hurting, he's the one who can comfort me. Man, I guess I need him to smack me upside the head so that I fix my mind on Him. 
Because Paul would describe it like this in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? So why would I focus and dwell and obsess about everything that's against me? Who, who is it that's going to accuse us if God's for us? Who will condemn us? Who will separate us from the love of God? Can, can trouble, distress, persecution, hunger, nakedness, danger, or violent death do this? You know, we could modernize what Paul says in Romans 8 and paraphrase it to something like that. Is there anything that can make Christ stop loving us? Can your relational tensions make him stop? Can your loneliness make, God, make him stop loving you? Can your anxiety or your loss or your depression or your fear, is any of that going to make God love you any less? No. In verse 37, he says, In all these things, we are more than conquerors because of the Christ who loved us. We are not more than conquerors because I finally got it all figured out and got my act together. We are more than conquerors because of the Christ who loved us. The Christ whose birth was announced. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. I'm convinced, he says, that neither death nor life can separate us from God's love. Not even angels or demons, the present, the future, or the powers that could separate us. Not the highest or the lowest places in life, not anything else in all of creation can ever separate us because there's nothing that will separate us from the love of God. Because of what Christ our Lord has done. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. And God says, no, but I know what my son has done. And that's enough. That's why when my mind is fixed on him, I begin to breathe a little more deeply, and I have that shalom, shalom peace of God. It's that perfect peace of God that the world can't understand because it's that kind of peace that the world can't find without Him. That's what Jesus meant in John 14, verse 27, when He says, what I'm leaving you with is shalom. I'm giving you my shalom. The easy-to-read version says, I give you peace in a different way than the world does. So don't let your heart be troubled or afraid. Don't miss what He said. I'm giving you my Peace. And that peace is found in the presence of God, not in the absence of my problems. Let me quickly remind you of a story that you're real familiar with, I'm sure. It's found in Mark chapter 4 in the New Testament. The disciples were out on the water in a boat. It was late in the middle of the night. The storm blew up. It was so big that these, some of them were experienced fishermen. They'd grown up their whole life. Their whole families, generations were spent on the water. They knew how to handle a boat in the water, in a storm, even in the night. And these guys were convinced that they were going to die. What was Jesus doing? Sleeping like a baby, rocked by his mother Mary instead of by the storm. And when you think about that, it's a story of two storms. It's not just a story of the rain and the wind and the waves. One was visible to the eye with the thunder and the lightning. The other was a storm of the one that you don't see, but it's just as real. The storm inside their head and the storm inside their heart. And that's the storm that honestly is harder to deal with. 
It's a storm that convinces us that it's too big and we're too small. It's a storm that says there's no hope. It's a storm that makes us cry out to him, Jesus, don't you even care that we're about to die? We know that feeling all too well, don't we? We've tried everything we've ever learned or heard of or seen in others to manage the damage and the disaster that we're convinced is about to happen. But nothing's working. No matter what we try, it's not enough to keep your boat afloat. You are swamped. And it's when you've lost all hope for peace and your doubts keep washing over you like the waves that you cry out like they did, God where are you? I'm trying to handle this, but I can't. Don't you even care? Why aren't you helping? And that, that is when Jesus steps up into the face of the storm, probably with a breath and a stretch, and then breathes out, peace, be still. And it was so. You can't speak what you don't have, and Jesus had it. And he gave it to those who cried out to him. And that still is true today. For any who are willing to receive it, Jesus would say, My peace I give to you. David, why don't you in a praise team join me on stage. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, When everything stands up in opposition to the knowledge of God, we take captive every thought, and make it obedient to Christ. And don't miss that. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Kind of goes hand in glove with what Paul had also said about what you dwell on. It means taking captive every thought. Peace is possible if we'll do that. If we'll capture every thought and make it obedient to Christ. In Matthew 28, verse 20, peace is possible if we listen to him when he says, I'll be with you always, even to the end. I won't leave you as orphans in John 14. Peace is possible when he says in Philippians 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ. Peace is possible for those who believe, as he says in Ephesians 4, verse 32, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Or in chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us. Or in Hebrews 6, 4, 16, peace is possible when he says we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, knowing that there's mercy and grace to help us when we need it the most. Peace is possible to those who believe the scriptures in 1 John 1, verse 7, that says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Peace is possible when he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, that in everything we can give thanks because this is God's will that we are grateful for a God who gives us peace. It's easy to give God praise and thankful worship when everything's going your way. But don't forget to praise God in the middle of the storm when you think you're going down. God's peace is possible when you're in God's presence. You might as well say that with me too, okay? Let's finish with a bang. Say it with me. God's peace is possible when you're in God's presence. Are you in God's presence? 
We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.